I want to talk about one very isolated piece we've never addressed before, which is the keshet, the, the, the rainbow. I'm going to start from somewhere strange, because normally we start from the text of the parasha. I want to start with the sugyan masachet brachot. In masachet brachot, towards the end on, um, on Daphnun Tet, we have uh, the sugya, the last parak of brachot in general is devoted to various and sundry blessings. We might call miscellaneous brachot. Uh, the beginning of brachot, the first three brachim are kriyachma, the next two are tefillah, the next one is brachot anenin, then is brachot amazon, then is also the brachot suuda, and then the last one is just everything else. Mainly brachot ariyah, and there's a sugya about what we refer to as brachot shachar. And before that sugya, you have a discussion about the rainbow, which actually relates to the whole discussion of dreams, and if you see this in a dream, what it means, and a rainbow's in there, and then you have this passage, Maim Evarech. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour from our normal piece because the star, starring rabbi in the sugya has an interesting connection here. Maim Evarech, what bracha do you make when you see a rainbow? And there's, of course, an assumption here that you make a bracha when you see a rainbow. And the answer that Gemara gives is Baruch Zocher Habrit. Blessed is he who remembers the breed. So what breed are we talking about? That's what we're going to focus on today. But you have another version, So we have two versions of the bracha. One bracha is baruch, and according to almost all be shown him, whenever in this parakel, it's, it's baruch, it's short for baruch atasheva, zocher habrit, blessed are you who remembers the breed. We have another version, which is He is trustworthy with his breed, and he keeps his word. And then Rav Papa comes along several generations later and says, Therefore, you know what? We're going to say them all, which is And that's exactly what we do when we see a rainbow. That's the bracha we say. Now, Rav Papa's position is unusual. It's actually not unusual at all because it's Rav Papa's position consistently. Rav Papa's always the one who takes various versions of brachot, and I'll give you three quick examples, and melds them together into a much longer version. Instead of siding with one or the other or finding some compromises, we'll say them all. Example one is, what's the bracha you say after you go to the bathroom? So, Asher Yatsar. How does Asher Yatsar end? It ends, Rofecho Basar. Another version is mafli la'asot. What does our papa say? Say them both. Rofecho basar mafli la'asot. Take both themes: the fact that God heals all man and that his and that his uh, one his actions are wondrous. Put them together. All right. Second example is um, is after you read Megillah. Megillah Esther. What's the bracha that we we say? Which is based on minhad to say the bracha. The bracha ends with. He who exacts punishment for Am Yisrael from its enemies. And the other version is Ha'el HaMoshiach, the God who saves. What does our Papa say? We'll say them both. And that's exactly what we do. Look at all you see the ring. That's the bracha we say after reading the Megillah. Third example is one that's not as well known because it shows up in an unusual place, which is Masachat Sotah. In Masachat Sotah, in the last paragraph, the Gemara says, 
what should the tzibur say when the shliach tzibur says modim? Which is an unusual premise because mapitom, why are we supposed to say anything? The shliach tzibur is saying, uh, Allah said he came and he's saying shamat filah and we're all just sitting there quietly listening and saying amen. So, but the assumption here is that if the shliach tzibur is saying thank you God, we got to thank God also. And the second assumption is we're not just going to echo what he says, we're going to say something else. And so there's one opinion, which is modim anachulach, alshanu modimach. And modem, also different versions. Rav Papa says, hilkach nemrinu lekulayu, lekulay, which means we'll say all of them. And that's why this is called modim de Rabbanan. Now people often see modim de Rabbanan and say, very good, what's modim daraita? So modim de Rabbanan doesn't mean it's a rabbinic level. What it means is it's a compilation of a bunch of different prayers that people would say or suggest to say, or Papa says we say them all. So our Papa here is being true to his own approach, which is when there's various versions of a bracha, if at all possible, say them all. But I think there may be something else going on here with the with the the rainbow. And in order to understand it, we have to look at the story itself. Here's the story of the rainbow. You have it here in Paraktet, uh, these ten psukim uh, that are in the aftermath of the of the flood. We'll take a look. But as you notice, I've highlighted the word Brit, and the word Brit shows up here, no surprise, seven times in this in this passage. All right. No surprise. All right. Six of them are in yellow, and one of them is in a shade because it includes a word that we need to focus on. So God speaks to Noah and his sons. And he says, I'm now going to fulfill or establish my breed with you and with your kids, which means the breed seems to be, to be between God and people. That's what it seems like. And all of the animals. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean God's making a breed between God and all animals, human and human and other animals? Or does it mean God's making a breach between God and the people, and the impact will be also on animals? Unclear. It's going to get more confusing. So I'm going to fulfill my breach. Meaning all man or flesh will no longer be cut off. There will never again be a mabul that will destroy the land. All right, very good. I'm very happy about that. However, here's the, again the problem. What is the role of the of the animals in this? And what's the role of humans in this? Or to put it differently, every breed includes two sides, and each side commits to something, and each side agrees their consequences to non-fulfillment. So who is the signatory on this? It's God and whom? God and man? God and man and animals? If so, what is it man supposed to do? Or what are man and animals supposed to do? Or is man, capital N, humankind, the signatory, they're committing, and the impact of it will be felt on the animals? All very mu- all very muddled. And now he continues. And the ben here is, is ambiguous and perhaps is equivocal. What's the bane? This is the sign of the breed, which we're going to come back to, which is, I'm going to put between me and you, 
And between all living matters. Now, what is who's the between? Is it God saying between me and you humans and animals, or it's between me and you, and then you've got a breed between you and them? It's all quite unclear who are the parties to this breed. And of course, the bigger question is, and what do the parties have to do to fulfill this breed or to be beneficiaries of the breed's commitment? Unclear. And now God here uses a new term, which is otabrit, meaning I'm making a brit, and God's brit can be just God's word. Instead, God says, I'm going to give you a sign of the brit. Now, why do you ever need a sign of a brit? What do you think? Why does a brit have to have some sort of a symbol or a totem or something? Why? A reminder? Reminder for whom? Good. I mean, that, I agree with you. Reminder for whom? And the text is going to say reminder. For whom? Yitz. Is this in any way connected to the Kayan's mark on him? I don't... So, Meaning in the both, sense that you're, it's, a, it's a symbol that other people also know what it means. So it's not just for the... All right. So you're saying the word oat right away indicates a symbol for other people to see so they'll know something. Maybe, yeah. maybe, although that's not what happens in Mitzrayim. The first time we see an oat in Mitzrayim, where the oat is on the inside of the doors, right? So who's it for? Is it for the people who put the oat up, right? Like Tefillin. Tefillin's an oat for you, not for others. So it's a little unclear. You raise a good possibility there, and I don't know. So here there's an otabrit, which again, why do you need an otabrit? And so Kurt says to remember, who is it who's supposed to remember this? I think both parties and third parties who are observing the relationship. Okay, so good. Let's go back to the first party. What does God need to remember? And does remembering work with God? I mean, it's a big problem because we have Yom HaZikaron and Zohar Habrit, as we saw in the Bracha. It's very difficult. And so you're saying, Sharon, that maybe it's God and the people and also the animals. Or whoever else is the side beneficiary of it. All right. Now, what's the purpose of seeing a sign to remember a Brit? See, this is this is going to become more difficult. Is you see a sign to remember, to remember a breed in order to remember there's something I got to do, and if I don't do it, such and such will happen. But that brings us back to the original question, which is what is the obligation of this breed? All quite unclear. All right, so now what is the sign? At Kashti Natati Bianan. I am putting a bow, a rainbow, into the cloud. Now, why is this the sign of the Brit? Now, by the way, anything that God picks, we're going to ask why. But why is this the sign of the Brit? Keshet Be'anan, a rainbow inside a cloud. And by the way, there can be a rainbow without a cloud. The sky is clear and there's a rainbow. There's a rainbow in the cloud. And that, that will be inseparable here. Suddenly, we've shifted. The Keshet now is going to be a sign of a breach between me and the earth. And suddenly man and the animals are all sort of like bystanders watching this happen. And God's making a breach with the earth. Unless Haaretz means the inhabitants of the earth, in which case they're all included. But notice, man is not singled out here for a special position. And then he says, When I make a cloud appear over the world, the bow, the rainbow, will be seen in the cloud. Now, that's not true, 
God often makes it cloudy and there's no rainbow. In other words, it's not true that whenever there's a cloud, there's a rainbow. So it means there will come a time that I will make a cloud, and at that time, the Keshet will appear. And what will happen, and this is the real difficult one, So you're right, Jason, it's about others noticing and remembering, but who's the one who's going to remember? God. Which transforms this whole breed into something very different, which is, it's not your classic breed where two parties... One initiates the idea of Imelech and Yitzchak, Imelech and Abraham, initiate the idea of a Brit, and each one of them has terms to the Brit and consequences for non-fulfillment and benefits for fulfillment. God's saying, I'm making a Brit. It's absolutely unilateral. The Brit is between me and all the creatures and the earth. And every once in a while, I'm going to put the Keshet up there, and then I will remember the Brit, which, of course, begs the question, well, what if you forget to put the Keshet up? Right? Now notice, before it was the Shachet Haaretz, here it's the Shachet Kobasar. So is it that God won't destroy the world, or God won't destroy the creatures? So so the Keshet will be, again, Keshet Be'anan. And by the way, the Keshet is never separated from the Anan in this text. And I will see it to remember Brit Olam, which means an everlasting Brit, between God and between all of the living things. All right, and now how does it end? This is the sign of the Brit. There we go, that's the Keshet. Now, Thanks to Jason again. We've got some questions here. But again, who, who is God making this covenant with? Who are the signatories to it? And what are the responsibilities of the other side? Okay. And why a Keshet? Right. Now, the, the association with the cloud is what I, what I really want to pick up and move from. But we have to start by asking a different question, which is a broad question about all of Sefer Breshit, and a more defined question about the first 11 chapters of Breshit, pre-Avraham, basically. For whose benefit was the, were, were these chapters written? What is the point of view that is being addressed in these chapters? So if we look at the Torah in a linear fashion and say, okay, when God created the world, he then wrote in some supernal way, Breshit Bar Elohim, and then after the flood, he in some supernal way wrote there was a flood, and then etc. then you got one answer. But the Rashbam, as an example, takes us in a very different direction. The Rashbam, in his commentary on Breshit, which is a reconstructed commentary, because we don't have the original, but from gleaned from other quotes from Rishonim, explains that the whole reason that the Torah describes creation is so that when Moshe Rabbeinu is standing at Har Sinai and telling B'nai Israel about Shabbat, they'll have a context for it. In other words, that there's a context based on the history of creation that then puts Shabbat into an understandable light. Now, if we take that position which I think is a very reasonable position, that all of these stories at least found their final form that we see in the Torah 
at Har Sinai or later in the desert, by, by the time we get to our vote Moab, then perhaps the story of the Keshet Be'anan and the Brit is telling us something a little different. And that is to look ahead at other Britot and keep in mind the Anan. And we're going to circle back to this and then ultimately circle back to the Brachot. Where is the next Brit that is made after this Brit between God and the earth and its inhabitants? Don't get misled by this. It is referred to as what? There's a breed made between God and Abraham. Now, what happens in that breed? God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham says, a sign, however we understand what generated the breed. God tells him to take these animals and cut them up. Cut them up and separate them. And he separates them. And then he's in the middle between the animals. And suddenly a great darkness descends on Abraham. And then God gives him the terms of the Brit. By the way, in the terms of this Brit, Avraham does nothing. Avraham's descendants do nothing. They get shipped off to another country. They get oppressed. They watch as their, as their oppressor gets judged. They become wealthy, etc. But they don't have any responsibilities here, except to follow the line of history and come back when they're supposed to come back. That's it. At the end of that piece, in Pasuk Yod Zayin, now the sun is setting, it was very dark, suddenly there is big smoke coming up, and Chazal explained, that smoke represents God, because God and Avram are the signatories to this breed, they're together between the pieces. But there's something else going on, which is that a breed is being made, and there is a dark cloud that surrounds the entire environment. Not only that, but there are cut pieces there that represent the Brit. And we say, That's the only way we know this is a Brit, because it says there was a Brit. But we move ahead two chapters later, and there is a very explicit Brit where it uses the word Brit 13 times. Not all 13 are on this page, but 13 different times. And that is the Brit that we refer to as Brit Milah. And at the very beginning of this scene, Hashem appears to Avram, and he says, I'm going to put my breed between me and you, and I'm going to make you great and numerous. And what is Avram's reaction? Avram falls on his face. Why did he fall on his face? God's speaking to him. So I'm going to suggest that God is appearing to him in some form, and Avram's falling on his face in response. And it seems that Avram remains in that position until God leaves. What happens? God says, I'm making a breed, and breed, and breed, and breed, and breed. And what's the breed? The breed's got an ota breed. What's the ota breed? Breed milah. So here, there is an appearance of God. There is a breed being made with Avraham. And the breed made with Avraham has a sign, and the sign is something that cuts through. Notice how the Keshet foreshadows this Brit. The Keshet appears in an Anan, and the Keshet cuts through. But notice huge differences between the two. When does the Keshet appear? Once in a while, whenever the sole signatory to the Brit 
decides to have it show? Is it because God says, I'm tempted to destroy the world? I'm going to put a, by the way, Chazal suggests this. I'm tempted to destroy the world. And therefore, I'm going to put the cash up there to remind me not to do it. Or is it just an occasional thing to remind humanity that God promised he'd never destroy the world? Two different ways to look at it. But it's completely unilateral. God decides when to put the oath up, and the oath is there, and it cuts through the heavens, and it cuts through the cloud. Keep that in mind, because you compare that and contrast that with this. What does God tell Avraham? I want to make a breed with you, and you only have to do one thing. But that one thing means that you carry the Ota Brit with you all the time. Now it's not up to me to decide when to have the Ota appear. It will always be there. And that's the Ota Brit, So what's changed is that now Avraham is a walking Siman Habrit, a walking Ota Brit. And Avraham now has responsibilities. But why do we? What are the responsibilities of Avraham? To have a Brit. Think how circular that is. And that's all leading us to the real picture. All of this is foreshadowing to the real picture. And by the way, we've already addressed one of the key questions in our original story, which is there really are no signatories to the original Brit. The Brit is absolutely unilateral from God. Here there are signatories. There are other people involved. But notice, in the first Brit with Avraham, Avraham doesn't have to do anything. He just has to live out history. And the sign is a sign that existed once and now only in Avram's memory of the cut-up animals. Here, the Brit is constantly there. Avram walks around with the Ota Brit on him and all of the male members of his family have it, but they don't have to do anything. They just have to have it. And that takes us to the real Brit. That takes us to the Brit that we're experiencing when we hear these stories. And we understand these stories are the build-up to the real Brit that we can, we're concerned about, which is we come to our Sinai. And God says immediately to Moshe, go tell B'nai Israel, I want you to agree to keep my Brit. Do you want to become B'nai Brit with me? And Moshe comes to B'nai Israel, and they come back and they say yes. How does God announce what's going to happen? I am going to come to you in a thick cloud. And the entire story of Ahmad Ar Sinai is under cloud cover. Hashem appears to, uh, descends on the mountain in a cloud. And Moshe Rabbeinu enters the cloud. And then later on in Parakhaf Dalad, Moshe Rabbeinu, in, in Parakhaf, Moshe enters the cloud. And at the end of Parakhaf Dalad, Moshe goes up to the mountain and enters the cloud. And the cloud covers the mountain. What is the cloud? The cloud is the manifestation of God's presence. Why a cloud? Because you can't see God's presence. The whole point of a cloud is to cover up. The cloud is the parochet of the Mishkan, if you will. It is that which not only saves us, because if we were to see God, we would die, but also gives us the closest that we can come to seeing. That's the cloud. And so now we think back to the story that we heard about creation and about the flood. Say, God made a breach with the world that he will always take care of the world. And he appeared himself. How do I know he appeared himself? Because he came in a cloud. And what did he do? He put a keshet there. And however we understand the keshet, the Ramban's famous take, that it's the weapon that he's putting in the ground, the war is over. However we understand it, the keshet cuts through the cloud. And it's God saying a unilateral breach with the world. 
But there's more history to it. Because God made a, uh, two Britot with our family, with Avram. And those Britot, again, we didn't have anything to do, but they ultimately evolved to the point where we carry the Brit around with us all the time. We don't have to do anything. Now we get to the real Brit. What's the real Brit? Right here. Now the Brit is, you are 24-7, 365, 120, going to be a walking Ota Brit. You are always going to be a symbol of the Brit in everything that you do. You're going to be a Mamlachet Kohanim Vigoy Kadosh. The way you say hello to people in the morning, the way you do business, the way that you daven, the way that you keep Shabbos, every day of every minute of every day of your life, you are now a sign of the Brit. It starts with the Keshet, and then it develops to Avraham, and then ultimately becomes the real magnificent Brit of Arsinai. And the cloud covers all of it. And when we break the Brit, and God agrees to re-covenant with us, who calls out Adonai. Now, by the Keshet. So, and by the way, of course, at Har Sinai, we also have the physical symbol of the Brit, which is called Shnei Luchot Haidut, otherwise known as Luchot Habrit. And they put in the Aron Habrit. And so there is a physical symbol that's there in the middle that we are aware of. But the beautiful part of it is it's covered up like the cloud. It's inside the Aron, inside the Kodesh Kodeshim, inside the Mishkan. And the real object of the Brit is not the Luchot. The real object of the Brit is each one of us, each member of Am Yisrael. Now, why the Keshet? So when you open up to Yosef Yechezkel, the first few chapters, Perak Aleph and through Gimel, and then again Perak Yod, you see these magnificent visions that Yechezkel sees, which are associated with vision of the Shekhinah. Of course, in his case, he's watching the Shekhinah leave Yerushalayim. But it seems to be as spot on a description of experiencing the Shekhinah visually that we have anywhere. And the famous chariot. Now notice how he describes what he saw. He tries to compare it. He says what it looks like a sapphire stone. And it looks like a man. Because he's describing God. And above that there's this fire vision. A lot of fire. Fire and and above that, what do you see? What is he above all of it? A keshet be'anan. Which means now at the very end of prophecy, Ki'ilu, we're now looking back and saying that the vision of God that you have of seeing the keshet be'anan is primordial. It goes back to the very beginning of creation, or shall we say the very beginning of man's interaction with God, New humanity after the flood is they see a keshet be'anan. This is the Mara And so when God reveals himself in the world through the keshet, it is a way of us taking a look and saying, God, God's protection for the world, God's care for the world is something that's everlasting. It's our job to carry the Brit around us with us all the time. We signed on to that at Har Sinai, but that all developed from this original Brit. And now let's go back to this. What are our papas say? 
Papa said there's two different versions of the bracha, and I'm going to say them both. Zocher habrit, neman bivrito v'kayam b'malmaro. What's the difference between these two signatures of the bracha, or these two brachot? What does zocher habrit mean? That God sees the brit, he remembers it, and therefore it, it's now activated, as it were. But neman bivrito is a whole different story. What does neman bivrito mean? It means that we trust the brit, which means even if we don't see it, we know it's there. Kayam b'malmaro, God keeps his word. And so what does our Papa say? Both themes are vital. Both the visual aspect of seeing the keshet and that reminding us of the Brit and reminding God, as it were, of the Brit, but also that inner belief that the Brit that God gave us is forever and that his word is trustworthy. And when we see the Brit, we're reminded of the Brit that we've kept. And that when we see the symbols of that Brit, we are reminded to be loyal to it. And when we don't, we are reminded to keep it with us at all times. The Brit evolves from something that we see that we have no say in, and we don't decide when it appears, to a Brit that we experience one time as a personal experience with Avraham, to a Brit that we then imprint upon ourselves and cut into ourselves, to a Brit in which we have metamorphosized into a living Ota Brit that we carry around with us at all times, that ultimately dovetails back to the ne'amanut, the trustworthiness of God in his breed, not only to make us an am kadosh, a malachat konim goy kadosh, but also ultimately to protect and to, and to safeguard his creation.